25 episodes in and we have our first guest appearance. Sean Malku is an entrepreneur and the founder and managing broker of the Chandler, Arizona-based wholesale mortgage lender X2 Mortgage. X2 Mortgage is a firm that aims to provide a more modern mortgage experience that is more efficient and cost-effective. We talk with Sean about the current state of the real estate market, where it might go in the coming months, and he gives us a few tips and tricks as well. It's important to note that we recorded this episode on August 2nd, 2022, due to a few time-sensitive pieces of information that we cover in this episode. Tanner and I are hopeful to feature more guests to the show in the future, and we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did recording it. Please welcome entrepreneur and mortgage expert, Sean Malku. Welcome to the F-Sharp Podcast, presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. Co-hosts Tanner Bortnam and Adam Henning discuss various financial topics presented in a consumable and entertaining manner. Tanner is a certified financial planner, JD, and financial expert, while Adam is a marketing professional and small business owner. It's time to harmonize. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to episode 25 of the Financially Sharp podcast presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared towards making you more financially literate. I'm Adam Henning, marketing professional and small business owner, and I'm joined as always with co-host, certified financial planner, JD, wealth manager, and industry expert, Tanner Bortnam. This episode is a special episode featuring our first guest to the show. The first guest appearance in the history of the Financially Sharp podcast is Sean Malku, Malco? Nailed it. Nailed it on the first try. Malku. Okay. I probably should have asked you that question before <laughs> I started reading, but uh, hey, I got it on the first try. So yeah, Sean it. is the managing Sean is the managing broker of X2 Mortgage, a company he founded. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Sean. Wow, thanks for having me. I didn't know I was the first guest. This is an honor. Yeah, yeah. I, now I'm nervous, you know? Knees weak, arms, arms are sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just been Adam and I on every other one so far. Nice. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah so I'm stoked market- to be on. Yeah, my marketing brain went immediately towards uh, X2 Mortgage and, and talk about the, the significance of that and what that means and, and uh, kind of the background of, of founding that mortgage company. Yeah, so I'll give you a little rundown of me being in the mortgage industry, and then I'll kind of give you a little rundown of of X2. So, you know, I started in the mortgage industry back in 2008, or sorry, not 2008, that was the crash, (laughs) 2018. uh, I started back in 2018 and, um, you know, didn't really know what I was doing at all. I I liked math, but I didn't really have a good financial background, Um, but I liked real estate, I liked numbers. So I got into the industry and and quickly... um, quickly got good at it because I just really enjoyed it and liked spending spending the time on it. So I got in the industry. I was out growing my business like most people are. And, and I kind of found that, you know, the creative ways and the smarter ways to do financing is always going to be the best, which is something that I know Tanner and I share, um, you know, similar mindset on that is, is just having a creative way and a creative outlook on financial um, situations. So that's how I kind of got going in the mortgage world. I started producing a high amount of volume 
Um, it, it typically would take the average person about five to seven years to really get a good book of business and a good production level started. Um, I just attacked it. I, I leaned on some unique backgrounds that I had with marketing and YouTube. And I basically jump started my business to get, you know, way ahead of the pack and started doing a tremendous amount of volume um, by myself, which kind of led me to want to do things a little bit differently and build out a team with X2. Um, and so I said, you know what, I'm gonna start my own company. I'm gonna do things a little bit different. I'm gonna have this more creative, modern outlook on the mortgage industry since it is very old, dated, traditional, not the most fun. I mean, mortgages will never be fun to be honest, but um, you know, just trying to make do things a little bit differently to have a better experience and to really focus on a a tech savvy um, type of mortgage company. And so that's kind of how X2 came about. And we officially went live with it November of 2021. So we're coming up on a one year here soon. Um, it's been it's been great. Definitely, uh, definitely not looking back. It's, it was a pain to get started, but totally worth it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine that with, you know, all the regulations and everything, starting Ugh. your own, I, with, you know, Harmony Wealth and everything, it's similar of getting everything up and running. And then once you're finally through the weeds of everything, it, it feels nice to be able to actually work and get yeah. back to what you enjoy doing. Exactly. It was kind of like I'm, I'm producing, I'm creating, I'm doing loans, I'm originating, I'm doing all this stuff that I'm, I'm good at and I like to do. And then had to take a massive step back to do, yeah, all the compliance, all of the entity formation for the different states. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it was just not fun, but worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this yeah. one's unique for me too. Usually Adam's the one asking me questions. So I'm kind of in a different <laughs> spot here being the interviewer. <laughs> um, hey, you can take a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's nice. Um, so, you know, obviously we know each other, Sean. Um, and, and that's why I wanted to have you on here and, and chat about, you know, the mortgage world and what we're seeing with interest rates going up and everything. But, you know, I know you gave us background on you and X2 a little bit. Um, tell our listeners what makes you different. And you, you mentioned that with, um, you know, trying to be more tech savvy uh, and do things different than the old way of, right. of mortgages. So what sets X2 apart? Yeah, I love that question. And which is cool because you got to experience it firsthand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so the cool thing about X2 is it's it's a wholesale mortgage brokerage, which basically means we've worked, I've spent, you know, years facilitating and building really strong relationships with, you know, 40 plus wholesale banks, lenders, investors, institutions. Um, and essentially the way that I like to explain it to people is these other companies want to build their mortgage portfolios. They want to have a bunch of loans in their portfolios. Um, but the most expensive part of a mortgage is obviously originating it, getting that business, going through the nightmare in some cases of making sure it's in compliance, it meets guidelines, it's Fannie and Freddie sellable, all that fun stuff. Um, and so they will open up and basically give you rock bottom wholesale pricing if you do all of the work. They're going to they're gonna say, hey, we'll give you best pricing on the market, you do all of the work, we're only gonna be underwriting, making sure it, it fits in compliance. Um, and then once that loan is funded, they're gonna go ahead and actually collect those monthly payments from the client, from the borrower um, once funded. So, you know, the typical pitch or the typical value add that I always tell people is we're always gonna have lower rates. There's very few companies um, that can compete with us, even remotely. 
Um, and so we're always gonna have really great rates. And because of this, that because we're bringing this loan to these wholesale lenders, investors, and partners, they're paying us our commission. So we don't have to charge our clients any money. You know, typically there's loan origination fees, application fees, processing fees, whatever it might be, you know, general overhead to get a, to get a loan done. Luckily, you know, we get all of our commission and all of our revenue per se from our partners. Um, so we get to pass those savings on to the client. Now we could charge the client additional funds and, and make a little bit more money that way, but we have virtually no overhead compared to a normal mortgage <laughs> right. company. So we we do all right by by passing those savings on and building the referral network from saving people so much money. Um, so that's really what makes us different. We're, we're a phenomenal cost solution for people. Um, and then you pair that up with the tech and the processes that I've really focused on dialing in over the past few years. Um, we're going to have phenomenal service because we're built purely on referrals. Um, so yeah, it kind of makes us uh, a little bit of a unicorn in the industry, I would say. Yeah, well, and, and one of the things too that you know, is similar with the, the financial world is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with what you were saying of having you know, 30, 40 different companies that you work with and you're not necessarily affiliated with one, you can get them to compete against one another. Exactly. Whereas um, our most mortgage you know, like if you'd go to a bank, are they kind of just with that bank or they might have a couple of different people? Or? Correct. So um, the cool thing about having all these different partners, and I always like to use Rocket Mortgage as an example because everyone knows Rocket Mortgage. Yep. So if you call Rocket Mortgage, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we'd love to help you. Here's kind of where our pricing falls. And, and that's you have to fit in their box. They have, hey, for conventional loans, FHA, VA, whatever it might be, these are our guidelines. Now, there are set guidelines that the industry follows, but here's additional guidelines on top of that that we have to follow. And they're going to give you their retail pricing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, which is much more expensive. Now, we can actually broker wholesale to Rocket Mortgage if we, if we wanted to. And they're going to give us that way better pricing. Um, but I will say nine out of 10 times, Rocket Mortgage is not going to be the most competitively <laughs> priced. So um, the cool thing is we can throw it into our pricer and know in a matter of seconds, which bank or which lender, which partner is going to be the absolute best price for that specific scenario, because every scenario is completely different mm -hmm. and every lender has different risk appetites and basically quotas they want to hit per loan program. Sure. Yeah. That reminds me, you know, we always try to throw it back to previous episodes. It reminds me of an episode we did on insurance and similar, you know, every person, has different health qualifications and different income and, and, you know, death benefit needs, which fit into different companies. And so, you know, if you only go to, I think we picked on state farm in, in that episode, um, they only have state farm. And so they're only good at what they're good at, not right. good at what they're not. So if you go to someone that's independent, you're going to find what is the best fit and the lowest cost for you. So that's really, really cool that you guys are doing that. Yeah. Um, and try and change up to mortgage world as well because it is a i always talk about the financial world as being like the titanic and a big behemoth <laughs> and i think you guys are right there with us yeah if we definitely bigger. are uh, yeah it's it's pretty pretty insane what i still see is common practice which mm -hmm. is literally 30 years old <laughs> so well tanner it's interesting that you brought the insurance piece up because that's where i went with you know when you were you were explaining it john of of independent insurance salesmen or or companies is that would would you describe that as being 
uh, kind of the model of X2 or? Almost identical. Um, uh, so, you know, I know because we see a ton of home policies, you know, we always ask our clients, hey, do you have homeowners insurance policies you have already? Do you want us to get you a quote? And, you know, sometimes I see people who are like, oh, yeah, we have we get a great deal with XYZ insurance with Navy Fed or, you know, whoever. We get a great deal with them and they send me the policy and I'm kind of like, well, they have really great marketing because <laughs> you're not getting the best deal with them. But um, yeah, it is the same thing. You know, for example, I know that Geico, Geico crushes auto insurance for males under the age of 25. They will crush okay. anyone in that market. The second you come out of that um, age range and out of that, um, you know, demographic, they're not going to be competitively priced. And it's very similar in the mortgage world with, with what we've set up. I know off the top of my hand, I've got three lenders who are going to love those 800 FICO, 20% down conventional A-plus paper. Um, and I know off you know, top of my hand, I've got another three other lenders who are going to love those super low FICO, you know, 550 credit score, FHA minimum down loans. They've all got very different competitive advantages. Um, so it is actually very similar to how the insurance world works. Well, that adds a checklist for me. I got to go home and change my <laughs> Check auto insurance. insurance off of Geico because that's who I have. <laughs> yep. I mean, I was the same thing. I had Geico until I hit uh, 26. And I mean, I immediately saw the difference. Well, all right. We'll so. talk after this about where I should be for yeah. auto insurance. <laughs> um, well, I think the other thing too, uh, you know, as you talk about this is, you know, I, I feel like these, um, you know, wholesalers, they have their niche, you know, so to speak. And finding that again, you know, we, we've kind of beat that to, to death of you being able to to do that and find people the right area. So, um, you know, I follow you guys on Instagram. Go ahead and shout out to Instagram for us. Yeah, it's at X2 Mortgage, letter X, number two. All right, perfect. So anyone wants to follow that, great uh, mortgage advice on there. And you guys do your, I think it's Mondays, so you do your mortgage minute. Yeah. Um, lots of good stuff on there, but you know, how, cause that's another one. I think, I think you guys are, are experts. I mean, a lot of this stuff you talk about, um, you know, like bank statement loans or different things, you know, like th there's stuff that, again, I'm not in the industry, but there's right. things I've never even heard of as options to, uh, you know, get people into mortgages and, and find creative ways, you know, like me, I, I remember when we were working together, you know, business owners. So, obviously a lot more moving pieces than yep. just a normal W-2 employee. And some places don't like that. And others right. are totally fine digging through the weeds of my tax returns to see all the different moving pieces that I have. And um, talk a little bit about how you guys become experts. Yeah, it's it's a good, uh, good point because there's, there's two main things. There's one, the loan officer at the loan officer level, and then there's two at the company level. Um, you know, you're right there. There are companies out there. They might say they're experts and they, and they know, you know, they have got these great programs. You know, it's kind of like that general car salesman type of vibe, which I hate, you know, in the, in the old, old <laughs> yep. traditional financial yep. world is, Hey, yeah, come on in. We can help you with your situation. Don't worry. We'll take care of you. Right. And they get you in the door and then they actually don't have a good product for you, but they have you in the door now and they're going to sell you on something else. Right. Good salesman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's what most of them do. And, and sure, a lot of companies might have the bank statement is one of the most normal, what's called a non-qualified mortgage loan. A lot of companies have that. But what a lot of companies don't have are some of these other super niche products, DSCR loans, single wide manufactured um, home loans, first and second combo loans. I know we were talking about a little mm -hmm. bit with your situation. Um, 
you know, maybe some asset depletion loans. I mean, there's a, there's so many different ones that are so much more high level and it's almost like having to relearn a whole new set of guidelines. And so to do that uh, at a single company, it's not profitable because there's so many things they have to know and they wanna get really good at what they're good at and that's what's gonna make them profitable. So it's nice for us having those options where, hey, this one partner only does asset depletion loans or they only do single-wide manufactured or they only do this very specific condo tells, like very specific type of product so they're gonna be priced well, they're gonna be really good at getting them done quickly. Um, so that helps a ton. It's obviously more work for us to know all of these different guidelines and all these different rules. Um, but that's at the company level. And then when you talk about the loan officer level, a lot of loan officers work at, again, one of these companies where they have five products. Go sell a conventional loan, go sell an FHA loan, go sell these basic loans. And that's all they really have to know about. So if they get a borrower that doesn't fit their box or they know it's gonna be way too challenging to try to get to fit that box, they immediately tell them, hey, let's sell you on something else. There was actually a previous client uh, that we worked with that was a very similar situation. Mm -hmm. um, someone told him, hey, you have to go bank statement. And when I got everything and then I did a, f I mean, it is probably one of the hardest income calculations I've ever done in my entire life. Um, but I did, I got all of the tax returns. There were multiple schedules, multiple businesses, multiple everything. And basically just having the ability to put those loans in places has fine-tuned my skills and everyone's skills here at X2 to you know, not say no. We don't say no. We say, how do we make it work and what do we do to make it work? Um, and so it basically just constantly refines our skills to take the extra hour and do that deep dive into the tax returns. Take that extra time to really get an idea of the full situation to save that client as much money as possible and to put them in the best loan program as possible. Nice. So, Adam, does this all sound familiar to you? I feel like I'm listening to myself talk to me <laughs> just in a different industry. This is fantastic. I'm like, whenever you're talking, Tanner, I'm always like, oh, crap, what's the next question I'm going to ask? And I don't necessarily have to do that. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm meaning like everything Sean's saying about the mortgage industry. I feel like we talk about there's just so much like in the how financial do you... world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He just spit out a whole bunch of loans and I'm like, OK, yeah. never heard of that. I know. I know. That's a question hard thing. my own situation. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard thing with making the content that we put on social media is I, I try to we, we try to dumb it down as much as possible. And that's why, I, you know, the marketing team I've hired is unrelated to mortgages because I want that. I know nothing. Tell me about mortgages. Sure. It's so hard. You know, just like for you, it's yep. so hard to simplify things because yep. it's just so complex. Yep. And, and almost it it almost is a disservice how complex things are because, yeah, I've had that before. We're talking with clients and it takes a great deal of trust for them, you know, because things are complex and I'm going to try to explain it the best that I can so that they actually know what's going on where, you know, another advisor won't do this product because they can't explain it or they... Uh, just don't tell clients what's going on or they just make something up. Right. <laughs> and, you know, that is doing a disservice to the client, but it almost, it, you know, it makes our job harder because right. sometimes people want to go with what they understand, but we have to know it's so, it's, it's, I always try to use medicine because everyone has to do medicine. Like you go to your doctor, hopefully they're doing the best that they can to, to dumb it down to our level so we understand. But if they can't, too bad. Like you have to go there and you just do right. what they, you know, kind of want because it's, it's 
they're operating on such a high level of what they're trying to do. And that's, you know, I know obviously what you guys do, what we try to do at Harmony Wealth and everything too. So, okay, real 30,000 foot view. Okay. Go over the mortgage process. Okay, mortgage process, uh, 30,000 foot view. So, okay, start um, with a loan application. Now, loan applications are the basis of any mortgage. It's gonna go over your personal information, your income, your assets, you know, your liabilities. And from that application, that gives a loan officer or a lending company a decent financial outlook on your on your financial fingerprint is what I always like to say. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, we get a credit report which fills in all the dots, uh, or I should say connects all the dots. Um, and once we have that loan application and that credit report, that's kind of the basis of where we're gonna fall in terms of loan program, interest rates, um, everything like that. Now, once we have those two, we have to verify everything that's on that application. So, you know, if you said you make a million dollars a year working at McDonald's, you know, we have to get the pay stubs and the W-2s <laughs> to, to verify that. You well, know, you own a few McDonald's as well. <laughs> yeah, as there. yeah. Uh, so it's not, uh, it's not quite like 2008 where, yeah, you wrote down you know, $10,000 in income, they gave you $10,000 income. We have to very, very, nowadays, very, very meticulously, you know, document every single detail that's on that loan application. Mm -hmm. So loan officers will typically want to get all information. We're kind of like an attorney. We want all the information as possible. And then we want to back out all of the information that's not needed because we're going to save us, it's going to save us documentation. Right. Um, so once we have those uh, and we have a, a basis of a loan file and we say, okay, this is where you qualify and this is what the loan is going to be. Now, I mean, that's typically when you go buy a house or if you already have a house, that's when the refinance process officially starts. From that moment, we're going to send out disclosures. We're going to give you loan terms. Here's kind of generally, um, you know, what your interest rate's going to be, what your monthly payment's going to be. Sometimes it's a locked interest rate, sometimes it's not. Um, but this is going to give you an idea of Here's what my payment's gonna be. Here's what I'm getting myself into. Um, once you get the okay from that, you get to start the underwriting process, which is the least favorite process out of everyone. It's terrible. It's horrible. So that's where an underwriter is gonna go in with a very fine comb, and they're gonna say, okay, we have the pay stubs. You know, you're making 20 an hour, but you know what? One of these pay stubs is only showing 30 hours a week. Are you part-time or are you full-time? Um, and so they're gonna basically, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's, make sure everything is perfect. Um, and they're gonna essentially give you an approval and say, hey, we think this is a good loan. Here's X, Y, Z of items we need to make the loan perfect. And that's when we're gonna go back to the client. We're gonna say, hey, we need X, Y, Z. We're gonna gather, what most people don't know is we gather a ton of things behind the scenes that people don't even see, you know, title work, property information, um, insurance information, just tons of things like that. And that's also when we'll get an appraisal, determine the value of the property, make sure everything's kosher there. Now, once we have that final approval, that's when the fun stuff happens. That's where everyone gets excited and you got your clear to close. Final documents are generated. They're balanced out. Make sure everything is perfect to the penny. Um, and then signing and funding and, and then you're kind of good on a mortgage. So that's the, the general process of it. It sounds simpler than it, than it ends up being. Way mm -hmm. more moving parts, yeah. way more problems that can come up. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the basics. Well, and, and do you have any tips to you know because i know again speaking from experience with the one we just did with you um i did some dumb things <laughs> that made a lot of more work for me yeah um 
is that do you have some tips? You did something for- dumb? Oh, yeah. And yes. You could have an extremely high financial IQ, but if you don't have a mortgage background, it's almost impossible not to do something yeah. dumb. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I tell the listeners, I don't, I don't care. So I, I had money that was at TD Ameritrade that we needed for part of our down payment. And I just let it sit over there because they're like, it needs to be in the account by X date. Well, and I, so I was selling some stocks and moving <laughs> money over gradually. Well, every time I moved money over, I then had to document that move from both TD Ameritrade and then it going into my bank. So it ended up being about <laughs> six different yeah. money moves instead of just moving it all at once. So don't make that mistake. Yeah, the, the biggest thing or the biggest tip, um, which it's, it's so, like I said, it's so hard to not do something dumb because mm-hmm. there's a million things that can right. make it challenging. Uh, but the most common that we see is moving money. Yep. So the, and the biggest reason why the mortgage industry is so strict on it is for fraud. Right, fraudulent activities where maybe someone, you know, typically is is mattress money, drug money, whatever it might be, money laundering, yeah, of essentially. Course, of course. Um, where someone might say, "Hey, here's the money in my account," um, but that money might be borrowed. It might have been transferred from somewhere else. So we always have to get the most meticulous paper trail for typically the last sixty days, sometimes thirty days of every penny that we're using for our transaction. So, you know, for example, if you have. 20 accounts, you know, most people have maybe three or four, but if you have a ton of accounts and you're moving funds back and forth, back and forth, you have to keep getting updated transaction statements to show that entire flow of money, which can be, yeah, as you went through, pretty brutal if you're doing it multiple times. It's it's not hard. It's just annoying and tedious. Um, And, you know, lesson learned. I won't do that again (laughs) in a future home. Um, Yeah, I would, I mean, we, I get that, you know, we have to do that for money laundering. And, you know, I guess one of the things that you touched on throughout the process um, that kind of leads into some of our questions and stuff. So I get, I get questions and clients and um, friends, family, you know, it it doesn't really matter. Uh, I hear it kind of all over that the state of the economy of where we are um, and people being concerned of a uh, you know, market crash in real estate, similar to what we saw in 2007 and 2008. And I always reassure them that, hey, the rules have changed and you can't do that. Obviously, you know a lot more about this, but you you touched on that with how much data you have to have. And it's not 2007, 2008, where you can just say, I make 100,000 and they say, okay, perfect. Here's your house. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I totally understand the regulation and I'm glad all the regulations are in place because we don't want another housing crash. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest, um, I, I wouldn't say frustration, but a little bit of like a thing that irks me is when people always say, oh, we're headed for another 2008 crash. You know, people who have no idea what actually caused that crash, right? right. Like go watch the big short, you know, exactly. it's, 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 it's from everyone getting mortgages when they shouldn't have. And they're struggling to make their payments because they weren't qualified in the first place. Since then, it is very challenging. And I've actually told a lot of my friends that I see people all the time that I know they can make this payment. But for whatever reason, there's some weird guidelines, some weird rule that makes it so they cannot and they are struggling to qualify. But I know that they have tons of cash flow. They're very financially savvy, very financially strong. But for whatever reason, some of the guidelines just make it very challenging for them. And so you're right. That crash is... This how or the, the next housing crash, if you say, if you will, is not going to come from mortgage defaults and mortgage foreclosures. If you actually look at a graph of foreclosures, two thousand eight is probably 
like 1200% above <laughs> where we're at right now. Right, right. It's not even like remotely close. Um, and I always like to tell people, you know, this isn't the auto industry. You want to go get a car loan, all you need is a pulse and they're right. going to, they're going to give you that loan. And we're probably going to see something happen in the auto industry over this next year or two. Um, but the mortgage industry is just so much more meticulous that mm -hmm. it's not going to come from, from defaults. And, um, yeah, it's interesting to see because it's only getting harder and harder and harder and right. harder. So um, it's interesting to see how tight guidelines will become before finally it's like, all right, maybe we should stop a little bit on this and yep. and allow a little bit more leniency. But um, yep. yeah, COVID was especially challenging. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. One, you know, Adam and I talk, um, you know, on previous episodes about we always have something come up and it's like the pendulum swings. This just is... I don't know if it's human nature. I don't know if it's America. I, I don't know. But regardless, like, that's just what happens. Like, something bad happens, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, got to make sure that never happens again. Yep. And we just, you know, just nail it down and tighten the screws way too tight. And then enough time will go by and we'll be like, okay, that's a little ridiculous. And then we'll relax it and get back to where we probably should. Right. I feel like, you know, where you guys probably are um, – the banks, you know, with the Dodd-Frank, I hear a lot about oh, the yeah. banks complaining about that. Like the regulations just went too far. Like we get why they're in place. They, they've gone too far. We need to ease back a little bit. You know, like I actually think my industry needs to tighten those screws up. Like it's a <laughs> little bit of the wild west and shouldn't be the way it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we get that. Um, obviously dealing with what, what we do and, but it's, more work for you, and that's why it's more tedious and, and time-consuming, um, you know, for anyone that's trying to get a new a new mortgage. Right. And it's, you know, we, we just have to kind of remind people of that when they do get frustrated because I, I get it. You know, it's a lot of documentation. It's a lot of hoops mm -hmm. to jump through, but um, it's all worth it in the end. Sean, does, a, does being a proof of being a good tenant, do you first, is that taken into account or do you foresee that being – um, part of the, the loan process? I mean, because you could essentially take somebody that's paying a higher rent um, than the mortgage they're trying to get, and I get that they're not um, signing a long-term um, uh, mortgage, and they're usually probably just doing a year-to-year -year lease, but is that factored in at all? Um, previous history of being a tenant or I know that's just maybe a, a social media thing or a meme of millennials complaining about yeah. being able to pay $2,000 rent, but I can't qualify for a, a mortgage that would equate to a, a lesser mortgage payment. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big question we get, you know, I'm, I'm paying 3000 in, in rent, you know, why can't I qualify for a $2,000 mortgage? And you know, I, I'm a landlord as well, and I, I see it. You know, I see it firsthand. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really make a difference unless someone doesn't. There, there's a, and this is trying not to get too much in the weeds, but there are what's called a non-traditional um, credit loan. If someone has zero credit, we call them the Dave Ramsey fanatics. If someone has no credit, um, you know, and they come to me and they say, hey, I, I, you know, I want to buy a house. And I'm like, that's great. You literally have zero credit. Like, it's not like you have bad credit. You have no credit. Um, they technically can get a mortgage and Dave Ramsey talks like it's the easiest thing in the world and it's not at all. It's incredibly challenging, but for one of those, you're going to pay a premium in rate, which Dave Ramsey doesn't say, but you're going to pay a premium in rate and, um, 
you also have to do things like that. You have to get a 12 month or sometimes a 24 month rental history from your landlord or from property management, proving you are on time, zero late payments. Um, and there's a bunch of other things too, like you got to get utility bills. Like it's very challenging to get those, but that is the only case where it would come into play or on a normal loan, you can use that as a, what's called a compensating factor. So if you don't qualify, you know, the traditional route and you still are doing a traditional loan, you just don't get what's called an automated underwriting approval. You could do a manual approval and you have to give compensating factors and that's where something like that would come into play. But yeah, it's, it's unfortunately not that helpful. And Dave Ramsey talks like it is and it's just, it's just not. Yeah, How much sorry. of a premium? I, I wasn't listening to what you're saying. I was laughing and had to wipe the tears out of my eyes from listening to that. Yeah. yeah. You Good enjoyed that. Dave. I know you did. Yeah, Adam Adam knows uh my thoughts on on Dave and a few others that are experts yet not yeah. actually <laughs> experts or have licenses or degrees in anything. Yeah. Yeah. They're just good marketers. Yep. <laughs> and have radio shows. Yep. So let's let's talk a little bit about current events. I mean, obviously we've done previous episodes on interest rates going up, I'm sure, unless you're living under a rock, you know that interest rates have gone up. What are we at? 2.25% so far this year? Uh, oh, and I was like, total for a 30 year? No, yeah, no, no going no, no. up for the Fed. Yeah, yeah. 2.2. And then, so um, can you talk a little bit about how mortgages are sort of tied to Fed rate hikes and then um, also with you know interest rates rising, it's more difficult for people to get mortgages. So what types of things are you seeing um, buyers do now that can help them still close on you know, a house that they want? Yeah, good question. Um, so this is something I actually uh, posted on social media about the Fed, you know, because the Fed meeting was last last week. Uh, Wednesday, yep. Yeah, and uh, I, I put something up and then realized it was way too high level and almost no one understood <laughs> it, so I immediately took it down. Um, but yeah, so the, the way that, the simplest way to describe how the Fed rates come into play is, you know, they are announcing at each meeting, you know, almost like a macro plan, right? They're kind of saying, here's the long term, what our goals are. Here's kind of what we're going to be doing. You know, we're, we're tapering or whatever they're going to say. We're going to be raising by Q4 X amount. Mm -hmm. um, and so each in each one of those Fed meetings, you know, every average consumer thinks, oh, the Fed raised 75 basis points today because that's today's when they met. That's not necessarily the case. Lenders know this way in advance. And so, you know, that meeting, let's say for last week, the plan was to raise, you know, by 75 basis points. Right. Well, lenders already knew that. So they priced that into all loans way in advance, 30 days in advance. Now, leading up to that meeting, rates are going to get higher and higher just to mitigate risk. If they say in the meeting, psych, we actually meant to say 100 basis points or 125 mm -hmm. basis points. Now, all these lenders are in a very tough position because they've already sold or have planned for mortgages that are going to be way below what the market might be giving sure. them. Um, so when that meeting actually you know, happens and they say, hey, we, we stuck to our, our guns and we did exactly what we said we we're going to do, lenders go, okay, cool. We're going to ease off the, the gas a little bit and we're going to actually lower rates because we don't have to you know, hedge essentially for, for, um, a heightened risk. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like hard because people, you know, every time the fed meeting comes up, they're like, I want to lock in right before. And I'm kind of like, well, we're probably better not to, but right. you know, so when, and is it, 
Because it's not directly linked. I mean, it's Correct. not. Yeah, that's, I guess, the key I wanted to make sure we went over. So, to. yeah, it's not directly linked like, hey, Fed's raised 75 base points, mortgages went up 75 base points. It's, uh, you almost have to treat them like completely separate markets, even though they correlate to each other. So, like, for example, you know, bond markets, right? Like, mm -hmm. each one of those, um, you know, yields are essentially going to react differently to what the Feds are doing, you know, because it's, it's essentially... It's essentially me and you. It's essentially investors or other people buying into, um, you know, different products, per se. Right. Well, in a 30-year, I mean, it's a long time it's to a, not it's know super where long time. that's going to raise and lower rates a lot of times in 30 years. Exactly. So I always like to tell people, you know, it, it's a general gauge when they say, hey, rates are going to be rising in the long term or we're going to be, you know, raising rates by X amount or whatever it might be. It's a good way to get an idea of the overall trend, but it's mm -hmm. not a good gauge of how to react short term okay because it's yep. like roughly impossible <laughs> <laughs> yeah that makes sense so with rates going up i mean i know uh, i guess i shouldn't say i believe i know that mortgages hit were over six at one point right they were yeah and that then was a now week. <laughs> we're hovering around five yeah so lower. after that meeting they they dropped a good amount today we got absolutely hammered okay, um today's bad very bad again uh, this podcast we going out and couple weeks but right so, so i mean the market's ago, gonna go bad. yeah it's gonna go it's gonna go up <laughs> and down like that like right you know monday monday tuesday rates might be great um you know wednesday thursday might be bad it, it's gonna be that big tug and pull like any any financial market um yeah i would say you know they were at about six they came down to about you know five point and again this is gonna be our rate so other lenders are gonna be probably a lot higher sure but so they're they're at about six they went to about 5.75 before the meeting they dropped all the way to about 4.875 after the meeting and then immediately <laughs> today went up about to about 5.5 again okay so interesting they're they're pretty volatile right now um but yeah i i would think again a macro level or a more long-term level you're going to see it continue to trend upwards until inflation comes somewhat down. Right. Well, yeah, and we did we did an episode on that. So if you're wondering about inflation, <laughs> go back and find that episode. Um, so, Sean, do you have our? Oh, go ahead, Adam. So, based on what you just said, Sean, do you have clients or applications that you have on hold for when the interest rate is is abnormally high within the last couple of days that you can just say, all right, we're going to kind of leave this on, leave this open, leave this on hold. And when it dips that you can just go ahead and process that, or is that a dumb question? Um, so it's, it's, it's challenging. That's why I don't like to talk rates too much. Um, when someone's under contract, cause what ends up happening is, you know, if rates, well, one, if rates go up, great, right? Cause we locked in and we're fine. Now, if rates go down, you're kind of like, well, how much did they go down? Because if they barely go down, we can't do, like we locked in, we can't do anything. But if they go down by more than generally a quarter of a point, we could do what's called a, a, uh, a lock float down. And it's more so like finding the middle ground. It's not like we're getting a quarter point better. We're getting more like an eighth. We're kind of meeting in right. the middle because we, we locked at essentially what's seen as an adverse time. Um, but the way a rate lock works in terms of mortgages is a lender has to, it, it's essentially costly to, to lock a rate in. Now, it's not necessarily like they're paying it to the rate lock gods or something like that. You know, they're basically um, hedging it on their books as- sure, they're taking as, risk. Right, they're taking risk on. And so um, it's always an awkward convo because, you know, if, obviously if rates go down a lot, great. Like we have flowed down, it's no big deal. 
Um, but if they barely go down, sometimes people will call and they'll say, hey, I, rates, I saw rates got maybe an eighth better. And I'm kind of, you know, it's like, hey, I, I wish we could take advantage of that. But unfortunately, we locked your rate in at this date, um, you know, and, and this is kind of where we have to be. If they go down further, we have an ability for that. Um, being on the wholesale side with multiple partners, it's not right by us to switch to a different lender or partner if pricing got better, but we do have the ability if our partner or lender is not willing to give us a float down. Like if they're like, hey, you know, the pricing isn't that big, we can kind of say, hey, you know, that gives us negotiating power. Hey, it was big. Let's meet in the middle. Let's do something. Let's get the rate lock better. Um, and if they are unwilling to work with us, that's kind of when we say, okay, fine. If we have time, we're going to move it to a different lender. But it's challenging during that escrow period of, of the volatility in the market, especially if it's incredibly volatile. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's always tough. Well, that makes sense. I mean, again, as not being in the industry, and so I will only ever be a homeowner right. in this side, I would love to have my cake and eat it too and lock it in. And then right. if it goes up, oh, too bad for you, right. mortgage company. <laughs> Um, but then if it goes down, like, no, no, gimme, 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 yeah, like, right. <laughs> you know, we, we can't get both. So, you know, if we kind of look at it from that standpoint, I think that it seems reasonable, big drops, they meet you in the middle, it's right. doing a solid because there's a lot of other things out there that you lock in and you're locked in, you know, um, and it doesn't matter what rates do. So, um, one, what, uh, what other things are you seeing? buyers do now um because i don't think we've really touched on that yeah. since rates are higher um you know maybe they're getting priced out of for mortgage standpoint of, of the monthly because of the interest rate went up so now they can't make the monthly payments according right. to their income and and the regulations and whatnot so what are people doing now so a lot of things that's coming back into the market as the market cools a little bit is you're starting to see some more seller concessions um, seller concessions are when a property seller is going to pay for the buyer's closing costs or portion of the buyer's closing costs. Um, so, you know, instead of <clears throat> maybe negotiating down on the price, they're going to say, hey, we're going to give you your, your market price right now, um, but we want you to give us five grand, 10 grand, whatever it might be towards our closing costs. And buyers are then taking that and buying down their rate to get them to qualify. Um, oh, that's, interesting. Yeah, that, that's that's probably the most popular. The other route is, you know, obviously just lowering their their price range and, and setting expectations a little bit lower. Um, but it really depends on the type of buyer, you know, how motivated they are for the most part, um, and also how motivated a seller might be to to get them into that home. So I would say that's probably the the most popular. Sure. Well, and then you know, kind of following up with that. Um, yeah, I know down here, we're in the Phoenix metro area. I'm not an expert. It feels somewhat insulated from kind of the rest of the world just because there's so many people are wanting to move here from California right. and Oregon and Washington in the Midwest that I don't, again, I, I, I don't know, but I don't think rates are going to, or no, I shouldn't say rates, but um, housing prices are probably going to be as affected as maybe they will elsewhere from softening. But um, if you want to chat about that a little bit in terms of here, but then also we have a lot of listeners back in the Midwest. If you have any idea of kind of the rest of the country, do you think there'll be a softening of home prices? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the way that the market typically works, and I'm going off of history more so, um, is when certain areas have the largest increases, typically they have the largest decreases. They have the most, uh, I don't know, I'm not 
I'm not I'm not you. Is this is that price elasticity? Uh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they 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 will move a, a lot. Um now we're again in a unique market here to mm-hmm. where even in a downturn, we have you know an outside variable of more influx of people coming in. Uh so you're right. We probably won't get impacted as much as we should because we saw one of the right. biggest Huge. increases in the country. Yep. Um, so that's one part. Now, the rest of the country generally follows, um, you know, certain pockets. It's not necessarily one state versus another. It's more so, yeah, regional based. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I would say if we do see a little bit of a slowdown, it's not, again, I don't know crystal ball, but it's not going to be anything incredibly detrimental that is like the 2008 crash because of, the amount of equity people have, right? Right. You take a ten percent decline in your home's price. That's fine. You still are up thirty percent on the last three years. <laughs> right. Like you're still doing pretty good. Yep. So, um, what about, um, or what effect do you think it will have with institutional buyers purchasing a lot more homes in the last several years than previously? Um, I've been doing a lot of reading on that. Um, you know, for for my clients and and having real estate holdings and, and different things. Um, what will that, you know, cause obviously that's eating into the supply. Right. Um, cause those houses are never or very rarely going to come back on the market to be right. sold again. Yeah, that's tough. Um, the, the big deal with those are going to be cash flow. Um, if they're going to cash flow and they're going to give good returns for their, yeah, for their stakeholders, for their investors, you know, yeah, they're, they're never really going to be selling those. Um, now there are some potentials, you know, maybe they've fully depreciated out of property. Maybe they've, um, lost some portfolio in other aspects or, or they find a hotter market that they maybe want to sell those in. But I think the, the general rule of thumb that a lot of people talk about those is, Hey, those are just, just treat those as those never coming back on and focus more on all of the new developments. Mm-hmm. Um, those institutional buyers are not going to be buying as much as they were these past few years because they're not going to be seeing the returns that we saw these right. last few years. So it, it's kind of like, hey, moving forward, we're going back to maybe, you know, the, the mom and pop investors or just the individual people buying houses. Um, um, yeah, it kind of reminds me, um, you know, of growing up in South Dakota through 2007, 2008. Um, you know, a lot of people, the markets were trash and, and no one wanted to be in it and people lost jobs. But um, a lot of institutional money came and um, into the Midwest and bought farm ground. And, um, you know, cost per acre skyrocketed. I mean, I mean, like doubled and tripled within a few years span. Um, and I remember I was working with my uncle uh, when I was interning with him at his law firm and I was helping work an auction and kind of, I was talking with an institutional investor yeah. and it was cool to listen to him and how he analyzed it. And he eventually got out and didn't buy the land that was, that was going up for auction because he's like, it, prices are too high. It won't cash flow. Like I can only get a 2% return on this. And do you think that's kind of, especially maybe here in Phoenix, what's happened with the houses for the institutional side? Like, yeah, I'd love to buy more. If I'm an institutional investor, I'd love to buy more properties and rent them out. But how high can I push this rent up that people will still go in here versus what the housing prices are? You think that's happened? Correct. If you had money and you bought a property the past two years, you it's very hard to buy it at a price that wouldn't cash flow extremely well, mm-hmm. just the way the market was. Nowadays, yeah, a lot of my, you know, even bigger investors, maybe not institutional buyers, but just big investment clients who own 20, 30, 40 properties, 
they're taking a step back because they're having to go, well, shoot, I can't push the rent as much as I could these last few years. I need to wait for either prices to come back down or for rent to catch up. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the thing is rent was rising like at a, almost a faster rate than home prices. And so you, you were fine. Now it's getting back to that, okay, we have to wait for rent to keep going up for us to be able to buy at those price points. Sure. The cap rates are just yeah, not, as, not as good. Mm -hmm. Interesting times, interesting times. Adam, you got anything? Yeah, if I wanted to ask, I saw someone in, in my friend network that posed a question of, of um, talking about the, the market gains that we've seen in the last three, four years. If like, And I fit into the situation that he posed was we bought our house in 2016 that our house has um, significantly increased its value. When we purchased our mortgage was a um, a USDA rural, rural development loan, so we had zero percent down, and we have PMI. Um, so he was talking about how to take the the unrealized gains in the um, the um, the asset of our house and removing the PMI based off of um, the the value of the, the current market that our house has. So, um, and do you have any expertise on that or how that potentially works of kind of how to, how to buy that out? Yeah, that's a good question. It's probably the most popular question I had over the past two years was someone buying a house, you know, USDA is great. Unfortunately, we don't have too many options here in Arizona for USDA loans, a couple outskirts. Um, but even with low, you know, three and a half percent down FHA, you got minimum down conventional, whatever it might be that has that mortgage insurance on it, you know, people would buy a house and six months later, they got 20% equity, you know, <laughs> it's just like unheard of. So, you know, I'd be getting called saying, hey, how do I remove this? I've got my 20% equity. A lot of the times now USDA or government backed loans, which is USDA, FHA and VA, those are going to um, have different rules. Uh, you, you, you have to refinance out of them to remove that mortgage insurance. Well, VA doesn't have any, but for USDA and FHA, you have to refinance in a conventional loan. To, Otherwise, to it's it. PMI the entire time? Yeah, the entire time. Thir all 30 years? Correct. Okay. Um, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds. There is one exception to that, but sure. it's not even sure. what we're talking about. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, people were like, hey, I've got 20% equity. I need to remove this, um, this mortgage insurance. And, uh, you know, a lot of the conventional mortgage insurance... Um, I guess in the millions of paperwork that you sign, they have minimums of, hey, regardless of property value, there's a 12 month, you have to make your mortgage insurance payment. Um, but then, you know, maybe after that minimum waiting period, there's a, you know, rule of, hey, let me call and get an appraisal done. Send an appraiser out, let's get an actual value of the home and let's just get it removed right then and there. Um, a lot of people were doing that over the last two years. Uh, the most common way though, is kind of the way that you did it. You know, you just, you re-originate a loan, removing the mortgage insurance. The reason a lot of people don't want to do it now is because they don't want to refinance into a higher rate. Mm -hmm. um, they just want that mortgage insurance removed. But it was a very, I mean, that was a massive reason why a lot of people wanted to refinance as well because they were, one, lowering their rate, but more importantly, getting rid of that $100, $200, $300 a month of mortgage insurance. So it was lowering their payment significantly. Yeah. And then if you did that, you keep paying the same amount. So you yeah. pay it off faster. Yeah. Don't change the way you live. Just pay it off faster. Exactly. I would tell people that. Or, you know, another cool thing about X2 is we have cookie cutter loans, which is like no one has. So we could do, you know, hey, you paid it off. You, you're 28 years in. Let's do a 28-year mortgage. And almost no one can do that. 
Really? Yeah, but we so can do we that. We can just pick any any I, term you want. My football number was twenty two, so I want twenty two year loan. Year loan. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Up to thirties max. Thirties. Uh, technically, we have forty year options, but in terms of the cookie cutters, okay, yeah, it's thirties max. Interesting. So, That's really, and each one obviously has its own rate schedule. Correct. So the shorter the term, the better the rate. Right. Now, obviously, you compare between a twenty nine year and a thirty year. Not it's a, very nominal, yeah. but yep, correct. Okay. So the lo- lower the term, the better the rate. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that that was possible. Mm-hmm. I want a twenty two year loan. <laughs> Should have asked for that one instead <laughs> yeah, of my thirty. The unique one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So the okay. So the PMI. If you're in government, basically, you're probably stuck unless there's a specific exception. Um, otherwise it's, you know, refinance out or bring in a appraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably now since interest rates are higher, it's bringing in an appraiser. Yeah. Try as best as possible to call your mortgage servicer, see what the ruling is with your specific mortgage insurance provider, sure. because there's tons of them. They all are different. Fair. Yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to stick and you to the wall. Yeah, I know. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, but yeah, call, see, see if it's possible, get that appraisal. And that's going to be probably your best route. Um, if you're not looking to get cash out or anything. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I just have one more question. Adam, you have anything else? No, nope, okay. that was the main one. Um, so just kind of wrapping up here, you know, we've talked about a lot of things, obviously, which has been great info for all of our listeners. Um, what do you, of course, you don't have a crystal ball. Um, mm-hmm. Neither do I in the financial world. Um, what is your thoughts on kind of where real estate is going and how people should view real estate as part of uh, kind of an overall financial plan. And, and again, be nice because I'm sitting right, right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. When I talked to Tanner, by the way, this is a personal info. When I talked to Tanner, I realized my entire portfolio was real All estate. All real estate, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously I'm biased. I work in the industry. Uh, but, you know, all, all that put aside, you know, I, I, I was a very – I'll give you a little story. When I was I, when I was in high school, I was a very hungry and driven, motivated, you know, motivated person. I mean, I still obviously I, was just am. Saying, I, yeah. I haven't noticed any change. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't changed. But you know, I, I read a lot and I learned a lot about you know how am I gonna how am I gonna you know make a name for myself? How am I gonna do something big? And I you know whatever that stupid stat is that ninety nine out of a hundred millionaires are in real estate or whatever it is. Um, and so the most tried and true financial backbone, and I'm going to be polite, is in real estate. And so, you know, there's there's no better time to buy a house regardless of the market if the if the strategy is long-term, right, yes, than, it, than yesterday. Yep. And it's it's all about the long-term strategy. Now, if you ask me, hey, I'm looking to flip a house, is now a great time to buy? I'd probably say no. It's, mm-hmm. I don't think home prices are going to give you a massive return in a year. Um, but if you don't plan on selling that house and you're going to have it for 5, 10, 15 years – there is no better time to buy. And I, and I talk with, you know, my grandfather, he owns multiple eight unit, 10 unit, 12 unit properties in Los Angeles that are worth an obscene amount of money right now. When he bought them, they were 200 grand, 300 grand. Now they're, you know, $5 million because he's, he's super old. He's had it for 60 years. Right. Um, and so I, I always will tell people, you know, if you can afford the payment and if it makes sense, then purchase a home. It's, you don't want to look at it as a short-term investment. You want to look at it as a long-term investment. 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's all about your time in the market, not timing the market. Boom. So, we just talked about that on a previous yeah. episode. It's like That's you've been first listening. time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big one. I always like to, to talk to clients about it. And it's always hard because they think you have a biased opinion, right? I'm sure right. you get the same thing. Yep. Oh, you're always going to say it's a great time, but it, it really is. Right. I mean, look right. at, look at history. Look, yep. look at, look at where we've been the past 50 years. 100 years. Yep. I mean, yeah. So real estate side of things, you know, if you bought your house in 2007 in Phoenix, probably didn't look very good for right. the next <laughs> few years, but it's worth more now than it was in 2007. By and, you lot. know, if we flip it to the markets, if you bought something in December of last year, it's probably down. But five years from now, I bet it's up unless, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, yeah, and I, I had heard you say that. And so that's why I kind of wanted to tee that one up for you. Um, <laughs> you know, with uh, the best time to buy was yesterday because uh, I, I 100% agree. I mean, I think that's with anything. Real estate, mark in the markets, um, you know, any asset that you're going to have. Now, a liability, that's a different story, you know, with a right. car or something like that. But, um, you know, any asset that you're going to have, uh, just have that long-term mentality. We talk about that all the time. So mm-hmm. glad to hear that you're on the same page. It, um, you know, obviously reinforces everything we've been talking about uh, just – on the real estate side, rather than um, in the market side of things. So, um, with that, I think we lost Adam. So I will sign <laughs> off. <laughs> Thanks for being on here with us, Sean. Um, tell our listeners. I know you put in the plug a little bit for Instagram, but uh, tell them how anyone can find you. And I guess real quick, can you do? Uh, mortgages in any state. How does that work? Um, what states are you licensed in? All, all yeah, that. good question. So we can do uh, mortgages currently in Arizona, California, and Texas, and we are pretty close to getting Florida and Illinois added as well. So, um, but in terms of, of finding us or finding me, you can find us um, pretty much anywhere at X2 Mortgage or myself. Uh, it's just my name, Sean Malku, S H A W N M A L K O U, and um, yeah. Fun. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for being our first guest I'm honored. Uh, on on the Financially Sharp podcast. Uh, like I said, I will sign off not as eloquently as Adam always does, uh, but thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you being here. Um, please uh, let us know of anything that you want to hear about in any future uh, episodes. Hit us up at uh, financiallysharp.com. Uh, send us an email there. And um, yeah, we look forward to uh, visiting with you in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, tax, financial, or other professional services. Investment advisory services are offered through Harmony Wealth, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact Harmony Wealth at 602-935-5155 or at HarmonyWealthAZ.com.
I said, did you hang up on me or what happened? Um, so like, thanks for ditching me, guys. <laughs>